Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Just in time for the oddball American holiday of Thanksgiving, it's a Black Friday-sized, done-in-one podcast running just a hair under 100 minutes. In it, Graham McMillan and I discuss the TV shows, community and parks and recreation, fights on Twitter, and more specifically, Graham's recent dust-up there, Avengers 19 and the brilliance of Daniel Lacuna, the mini-comic Cindy and Biscuit by Dan White, Sabretooth Vampire by Mark Russell, and The End of the Fucking World by Charles Forsman. We also talk up Mudman by Paul Griss, Batman and Robin, Wonder Woman 3, and much, much, much more. It's the perfect podcast for tuning out family and relatives on an endless Thursday afternoon and should tide you over for the long two weeks until we pop up next. We hope you enjoy, and as always, thanks for listening. Hello there, Jeff. Welcome to Thursday morning, and more importantly, happy Thanksgiving, future listeners. Wow, that is very clever. Although, just out of curiosity, don't you think that I will put this first part up on Tuesday, which will be like two days before Thanksgiving? Sure, but this is the last time we're going to talk before Thanksgiving. Oh, I see. Wow. You have a much, you would be an awesome time traveler, you know. I totally am Inspector Space Time. Yeah, you totally. (laughs) Aw, Inspector Space Time. Oh, should we start off this podcast with me? like whining about the fact that uh, community's been like on the benched for at least mid-season or something I like I, I think we should yeah because here's the thing community being benched I can almost understand because of the ratings because community ratings are kind of shitty yes however community being benched and Whitney surviving that's that's <laughs> the problem ladies and gentlemen <laughs> if Whitney gets to survive then then everything's gone wrong yeah, that's. Uh, I'm really happy that I haven't watched any episodes of that. I've actually seen a lot of episodes of that purely because the NBC iPad app mm-hmm. makes it incredibly easy to watch terrible, terrible programming. If, for example, you wake up really early and you don't want to wake up your wife and also don't want to read anything. Headphones and iPads, the terrible NBC app. <laughs> what other terrible shows can you watch? You can watch almost any NBC um, primetime show. Really? Upsettingly, you can't watch Rock Center with Brian Williams, which I actually did want to see. No. But you can watch watch Community. You can watch All 30 Rocks. Uh, Up All Night is on there. I watch Up All Night on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whitney's on there, and sadly, I've seen Whitney. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to think what else I've watched. I watched all the episodes of Free Agents, the cancelled Hank Azria comedy, after it was cancelled, because I was like, I've never seen that. Can it be that bad? Yes, it can. And thankfully, they cancelled it like three episodes in, so it didn't take a lot of watching. (laughs) Right, right. Thank goodness. Yeah, it was no Herman's head, apparently. No, no, when a uh, show makes Herman's head look good, then (laughs) you kind of know that it had to die. Exactly. And soon. Yeah, but see, but that's the that's the horrible contrast is community. God, it has been, I thought it's been really exceptionally good this season. It's had like maybe one clunker episode and a bunch of brilliant ones. The, I don't, I think it's been very variable this season. I think last mm-hmm. season was stronger, to be honest. Interesting. It could be because I was, I think I missed most of last season. Come to think of it, I think I only came in at the very tail end. Um, but yeah, this season feels a little bit shaky. But I mean, things like the Dungeons and Dragons episode, not the Dungeons and Dragons episode, the um, the alternate world episode, oh, yeah, I thought oh was spectacular. God. The construction yeah, yeah, yeah. of that was amazing. Yeah, that was stunning. But I also thought the Halloween episode was really funny as well. So and the 
yeah no i think i think the the whole thing the the episode with um what black hitler uh was yes yeah was fantastic it's great especially all the surreal things that they threw in so that when he said it it sounded ridiculous and then he said it and sure enough it did sound absolutely ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) even though you'd seen it and then when he said it in the movie you're like yeah that i can see their point (laughs) yeah so first it just seemed like a you know a weird joke and then when he said it, it completely paid off. And that's what I love about community. Community is yeah. full of things that you think aren't going to pay off and then really do. Yeah, which is which is pretty astonishing. Yeah, it's 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 pretty daring in its in its way. So yeah, I just feel like it really goes for it in a way that's very different from oh, I don't know, the the kind of um sort of similar weirdo payoffs that you get used to get from 30 Rock. I don't know. That's another one that, you know, we had this whole thing where we were watching Thursday night, NBC's Thursday night comedies pretty consistently and then stopped pretty well, much 30, last 30 season. Rock has gotten very, uh, it's not even gotten weak. It's just gotten weirdly self-satisfied. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That the really good That said, Parks and Community, Parks and Recreation, rather, I think has been on fire the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Well, yes, I think so. Interestingly enough, I kind of thought that this season of Parks and Rec has been a little shakier than what I saw from most of last season. But well, you have can, Netflix, and all of last season is on Netflix. I should right. Well, then this is the weird thing. Every time we go back and see it, I think we actually saw almost all or literally all of the last season of Parks and Rec, which is why I'm pretty much on it. And I mean, they were on fire. And admittedly, they just have, they've got some really, they just have just a remarkable group. Like, they're the, the cast, hard to think the of a better ensemble. Yeah. yeah. It's just got, like, the best ensemble on TV, I think, hands down. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. But for whatever reason, at least for me, it's kind of it, per, it built up so perfectly to their season finale you know, last season, and then this season, it's kind of been like, okay, and how do we downshift it back to where it was before? Kind of, yeah. I just, I just feel that it's a little bit. Um, it doesn't surprise me, of course, that the guys who you know created Parks and Rec worked on The Office because I felt like The Office had that similar sort of self-correcting tendency of like, oh, we're going to go in a crazy direction now for more episodes, and now we're going to move right back into this. Well, did you read the AV interview club, the AV club interview? uh, Uh, With with, the showrunner, Michael Schur? Uh, Yeah, I did. That was a while ago, right? Yeah, that was during the summer. Um, But he actually talks about the self-correcting impulse Mm -hmm. in there. Interesting. Um, And their concept of not doing it, Mm. which is interesting. Hmm. I will have to check it out because I do remember I remember him talking about like having sort of characters like grow I think that might be part of it is he was sort of saying like we've gotten to a point where um, I think when they they talk about having Tom Haverford like leave the office and like he's got to go out and do his own thing and of course I just watched that episode where he got rehired again and I thought that that was both a like the way they did it was was I thought pretty clever and organic, but at the same time, it, it also seemed a little. Yeah, you just feel like oh, they're going back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah there. Mm-hmm. The, I I agree with you on that. There really was a sense of you're doing this really well, but I'm kind of annoyed you're doing this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I found myself doing that a lot. So, but but yeah, no, I think I think Parks and Rec has just had so much hilarious stuff in it. And I have to admit, I'm preferring Parks and Rec this year to Community, which really surprises me. 
Hmm, interesting. Uh, you know, I, I I think I could see that because I'm almost because I know that's definitely the case. For example, with Edie, I think you know, like um, I just feel like the the characters in Parks and Rec are managed to be like better thought out and also sort of more consistent. Like I feel like the community characters, um, um you know it's almost like the closer they get to pure abstraction, the better that they work, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, but the problem I've had with community this year is community feels to me like it's been trying. And last mm-hmm. year, I felt the community seemed effortless. Yeah, exactly. No, there's a lot more, there's a lot more feeling the effort in on this. But I, I don't know. I, you know, considering how consistently strong I thought it's been, obviously, and this is it, I, w- I wish to God Community was available the second season on Netflix, because I would I would just tear through that shit. I uh, Give it time, I'm sure it will be. I, I think it, I think it might be, a, a, I think they're keeping it in the Hulu Plus pocket, I think, but... Uh, we'll yeah. see. I mean, the Hulu Plus pocket was where the last Friday Night Light season appeared, and then all of a sudden, it just came onto Netflix with no fanfare. Right. So, I mean, I, I just keep checking. Mm-hmm, yeah. Ah, well, look at us, the comic book podcast that will one day talk about comic books. <laughs> hey, can I talk about my weird morning? Please, absolutely. Did you see me having the Twitter fight with Steve Walker? No, no. See, this is it. I was, I because we are talking somewhat earlier than usual, it's like I barely had time to get back from the gym eat my breakfast and uh, respond to that uh, that email that we got. So I haven't seen so, yeah, Twitter at all. I, I had a Twitter fight with Steve Walker this morning. Hooray! Holy shit! Yay! Well, that's awesome. Um, over the story about Joe Mad leaving um, Avenging Spider-Man in Newsarama. Oh, interesting. Because um, my, my take was, I think this is really... It, I th- it says it like, am I the only one who finds it hilarious that Joe Mad's off I mean, Avenging Spider-Man with issue 4 and replaced by Greg Land? Because there's so much about that that I love. I mean, there's wow. so much about that I love. Not least of all that it's Greg Land who's replacing him. It's like, wow. good on you for finding a more controversial replacement. <laughs> <laughs> Whose style is nothing like the guy who you were selling the book on. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, but Steve Walker didn't like that. <laughs> Shall we say enough? Uh-huh. Um, so he and I, he and I went at it, except we didn't. He went at me, and I repeatedly tried to shut it down by going, "I'm sorry, you found it obnoxious," <laughs> uh, for like an hour. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness! Uh, the irony of having a t- Twitter throwdown of all days is not lost on me. Thanks, universe. Oh, the reason I say that is because today on Techlines I wrote this piece about how conversations on Twitter are the point of Twitter, and how anyone who doesn't <laughs> conversation on Twitter is missing the point of Twitter. And, like that was live, and in the middle of the Steve Walker and I are just. I, I mean, I'm trying to back away from Steve Walker so much. Um, oh wow! It's the point where even I, at one point, I thought it was over maybe mm-hmm. half an hour into it and so right. I go off to work because I'm like I've got tech on stuff to do mm-hmm. and Steve mm-hmm. Wacker responds while I'm offline and Benjamin Birdie says what the dying did Stephen Wacker and Graham M take it offline or something it was just getting good and I respond <laughs> with no I was working but if you want to take it offline I'll send you my email address and Steve Wacker responds with do I want to take it offline not really say what you need to say <laughs> so what was going on in the first half uh, the first that? half was he said I was wrong and I said what did I actually get wrong and he, mm-hmm. his point was 
he, he basically sidestepped that because I didn't get anything factually wrong. He, right. His implication was, or his reading was, that I was hurting Joe Matt's reputation by implying that he couldn't hit his deadlines. Mm. Huh. Uh, and that I have this power and I'm being irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to see. I'm you know what? Uh, and let's face it. I mean, no offense to Steve Wacker, because I'm sure that he's got other stuff going on. But the idea that he's like saying that you were somehow disparaging a freelancer hitting their deadlines after Marvel did the whole Becky Cloonan Von Doom thing. I didn't even go there, but there's there's some fascinating stuff that came out that honestly I was biting my tongue because I was just trying to shut this down. Right. You're like, no, 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 no. No, really. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) And he's saying all this stuff that I really kind of wanted to fight back on. I was like, do not do it. Do not do it. Don't engage. There there was a lot of stuff that I, like if it was private, I totally would have engaged on. Mm. Uh, Including stop blaming Marvel for your cynicism. It's very revealing, but it's beneath you. What? Uh... My Marvel anger has made me jump the blog, which I have to admit, I love the phrase jump the blog. Jump the blog. Jump the blog. You believe Marvel has changed. It hasn't. It's a tough market. Scaring readers and retailers doesn't help. Oh, okay. So, yeah. See, this is the thing. This goes back to, like, ever since the layoffs. I'm like, oh, right. Like, I always feel like, like, I used to get upset when Tom Brevoort did the shit that he would say on, like, Formspring and stuff. Now I just realized they're they're all, like, they're, they're, like, fucking chained addicts you know what I mean to me I, always I, I don't know I mean I, I definitely think that he has no sense of perspective on this shall we say like I, yeah. I it, it's stunning to me that anyone would argue that Marvel has not changed recently right 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 no I know but I mean this is the thing it's super important for them I guess what I'm saying is is that uh it, I, it used to really weird me out like I thought there was some weird frat boy entitlement going on when like Marvel would come in and start taking swings at uh, at fans for like basically saying their opinion on the internet um, and now I'm realizing they're just fucking terrified you know what I mean like to me there really is that thing of um, you know for so long I remember Hibs like being all like oh yeah you know it's um the retail, the relationship between Marvel and the retailers is like abuse spouse syndrome, you know, where where the retailers are always like, oh no, Marvel's good to me, I know it really loves me, kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know. Now I'm starting to realize, like that is a that's kind of like a big chunk of what's going on. I feel uh, on on the editorial side of Marvel, where they're just like, no, shut up, he's great, you know, because he's gonna beat me behind the yard if sales go down again, you know. Like I just feel like they're all economic prisoners in a way that makes it really uncomfortable for me to <laughs> a support and b also just kind of like I really do feel like a lot of my frustration at the way they handle their interactions makes a lot more sense now. I'm like, oh, yeah, they're just, they're sleep-deprived, they're worried that, you know, because they're actually starting to think, like, well, if people if people talk bad about Avenging Spider-Man and it fails, you know, there's like not, you know, like 10 years ago, 6 years ago, maybe even 4 years ago, nobody would say that it was because of people talking shit on the internet. Because we've had enough experience with how much, you know, people talking shit on the internet actually moves the dial. But now I'm thinking, like, maybe it moves the dial en- enough, like, the margins are so slim that people actually kind of freak out about it. Well, that that was what was kind of 
surprised me because I was really tempted to just respond to say, you know, what I'm saying is not going to matter. Like, I know how many mm-hmm. readers Newsarama gets. I know how many readers blog I gets. And also, if you think of what the internet chatter for this book was anyway, mm-hmm. like, I can't believe me saying that is going to have any impact whatsoever. But right. I was, he definitely felt that it would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is really surprising. And again, it gets into that weird zone. I It used to bother me when, you know, again, we, you know, someone like you or I, we could spend, you know, 20 or 30 minutes ranting about how awesome Mark Wade's Daredevil is, which is like a whacker book, you know, and then if you like turn around and say some shit about Avenging Spider-Man, I mean, separate and apart from the fact that, of course, however many people listen to this podcast aren't nearly as many as, as follow you at Newsarama, um, but I, it's just... It's one of those situations where it just it never quite added up. I'm like, why is it that the negatives only matter to these people and not the positives? Like, we always get tarred with this weird, super negative brush when, in fact, I feel like we spend as much time praising as we do damning, I guess. And what, like I said, at least in the case of Marvel, to me, what becomes apparent is is that they're so, you know, it's like... um it's like a body that just can't produce any endorphins anymore. You know, the slightest, the slightest jarring bruise just feels so incredibly painful because they're so close to the bone at that point. I, I just, it was just, it was a very surreal. And that's a bummer because, because of course I actually think that's the oh, I, I like, that I follow. I like, no, yeah, I like exactly. a lot. I really think he's, I think he's a funny guy and I think he's doing good books. Yeah, he's doing really good books, and he does a really good job in his books of making it, of making it feel like there's a community there without overselling it or over pushing it. You know, I really like that. So it's very strange that he just. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know what was going on, but it was a very strange, very strange conversation. But as soon as he pulled the "It's beneath you" card, mm-hmm. that was yeah. the point where I really had struggled not to just fight him. Because mm-hmm. I hate that. I hate that so much. And I hate that, especially Marvel talent and editorial do that to journalists a lot. And normally they do it in private, mm-hmm. but I know they do it. And I really, really hate it. It, it mm-hmm. really angers me, in large part because it implies a sense of... It has an ego that I think is it, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The well, I think this is beneath you. I think you're better than that. Is really, really egotistical. It's inherently patronizing, really. Uh, and I, I kind of, you know, it, it that really rankled more more than his lying by saying that I got something factually untrue when I didn't. Right. When what he really meant was I didn't like your tone. Right. 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 The, exactly. The, the this is beneath you thing really rankled, and then amusingly after we kissed and made up mm-hmm. which was basically me apologizing once <laughs> um, he then half an hour later said snark is getting too easy next time you're feeling it about a comic story you could try imagining a non-worst case scenario and like that was kind of out of nowhere uh-huh. like, I wasn't even online and it, that as well just left a bad taste in my mouth sure it's like yeah. say that earlier or don't say it right well, yeah, that's <laughs> oh Twitter. <laughs> no, exactly. So yeah, so that was I, I thought that was hilarious in the day that I put my my Twitter piece up on the class. 
Yeah, and it was because exactly. I say at the end, I'm like, check out my Twitter at the end of that tagline piece. I mean, anyone's <laughs> gonna go and just see me like fighting with a Marvel answer. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, honestly, I I don't know. I I mean, there's fight and then there's disagreement. I, it definitely seems, at least for the things that I, I I looked at, it seems like you were no, it's true. We weren't really fighting. You we, know what I mean? Well, no, I mean like you weren't actually telling him to go to hell. I mean, you weren't even necessarily. No, no, and he wasn't that, doing the same to me. It's worth what like right. neither of us were really fighting, but it was just this weird. Um, I don't know. Like I felt like I was backtracking or continually backtracking and wanting Sam McGrone to nod. But also right. just wanting to stop it. Like wanting right. to be like, what do I need to say to make you stop? Right. Well, and that's it. I just think that he kind of clearly flipped out. If he's still talking about it pretty much after you've gone away and stuff, it's kind of like, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do, I guess. But uh, yeah, made for a great morning. So my morning was, I slept in, so I'm behind deadline anyway. <laughs> then I have a fight with Steve Walker. <laughs> Awesome. Well, you Great know, morning, it's, everyone. exactly. It's not even noon yet. God only knows what you'll be into by uh, by twelve thirty or so. Really well done, sir. <laughs> Who knows what the series gonna get? <laughs> you poor guy. Uh, yeah. Hi, well, hi, everyone. Hi. Yes, Happy indeed. Thanksgiving. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somehow that's all the better. So. Um. Uh, so, any other exciting comic news? Uh, I mean, I I haven't actually. I've been too busy for the last day or two. So it's like, uh, mm-hmm. day or two. Oh, let's see. Well, I, the the conversation with Steve Walker actually caused me to pull a post that was about to go live in Newsarama. Oh, really? Uh, about Marvel because they cancelled X twenty three. Oh the yeah, end, right. They announced that Punisher Max was ending as oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, I figured we'd... T- that's right. I knew there was something where I was going to piss and moan and whine, and it's definitely going to be... Punished. Well, Jason Aaron is has, is on record saying Punisher Max is his decision. Yeah, that's kind of what I hoped. Canceled. That's kind of what I hoped. I mean, it's kind of weird because I also have this thing of like, yeah, kind of in a way I believe that, you know, which is so retarded like for on my part. Like, because on the one hand, I'm totally sure that like any writer, he had something in his back pocket after this storyline wrapped up. You know what I mean? Just kind of like in case that someone turns around. Well, I, I, I think it's very, you know, you know I, I don't think you can completely deny that um, money comes into it somewhere because you could always just get another writer. But then again, maybe you wouldn't because Punisher Max is Aaron Seidel. If he was leaving the book, maybe they're just going to relaunch it as, you know, the Max Punisher. Well, yeah, they Perfect. should. I mean, they should, because the title is, I mean, I fucking adore it, and it kills me that it's hovering around 17,000 copies, you know? So at that point, it really, it's a nice, clean break. I mean, that's why I'm a little bit like, uh, part of me is kind of, I'm sure he's getting to the point where he's overextended because he's working on so many larger books, and I know there's there's been behind the scenes scuttlebutt that like people who are exclusive or higher paid are being pushed to get into the more larger selling franchise thing. So, I mean, it's a real complicated thing. I honestly think is Aaron saying, yes, this is it. And it's done. I definitely do. I definitely think that it's going to be, I think it's going to be a fucking amazing omnibus to read. Honestly, I think those putting that, 22, 21, 22 issues together and reading it in a big book is going to be incredibly satisfying. But, and, and so I think really it's the best case scenario in a lot of ways. I just also think that there's a level in which 
I think there was some very light, mutually agreed upon pushing around of the chess pieces behind the scenes. So, so well, I th- that's just it. I mean, it's selling seventeen thousand. It's not. It's selling like right. eighteen thousand and change. Uh, yeah. Deadpool Max has to be heading towards cancellation because it's selling less than that. It's right. selling well, seventeen thousand something. Right, but but I'm almost willing to bet the Deadpool Max will run longer because, again, you know, um, Lapham and Baker are you know are awesome talents, but are not are not the are not the big appointed talents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, they're not expensive. They're, 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 I would be shocked if they are. So, I'm looking at sales um, Yeah, Deadpool Max Two debuted mm-hmm. issue one, only had an estimated fifteen thousand eight hundred sixty-five sales. Wow! 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 And that's, that's the that's... first issue of the series. So actually, it's been going up since then. They actually got it pulled up from fifteen thousand. No, no, no. That, that that's that's the last month's sale. Fifteen thousand is the last month's sales. Oh, oh, oh. oh uh, I'm sorry, and, sorry, I and Punisher Max last month's sales were seventeen five forty one. Oh, I see. You were talking about the Rucka Punisher title and what it was selling at. Is that what no? You said? I was just getting my numbers entirely wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> Confusion. Confusion. Uh, yeah. Wonderful. Yes. Exactly. No, so yeah, no, it totally makes sense to me. I mean, it was way in the danger zone and it broke my heart and I can, it makes sense as to why they move. I just, I'm sad sort of in the same way that I'm sort of like, it's like with community. It's like the ratings were crap and yeah, who knows if they would, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't quite as strong apparently as last season. I still thought it was great, but you know, it's not an easy show to jump onto, you know? Um, as a lot of shows, I think, are. Um, was that, yeah. Was it to jump back to TV and then hopefully maybe we can tie this into comic books? Um, did I tell you my thing, my sort of quasi-epiphany while watching uh, season two of Venture Brothers? No. Um, it is the idea of fractal comedy was the was the term that I came up with, you know, for, for stuff like... Um, community and especially Arrested Development uh, and Venture Brothers, which are these amazingly and unbelievably brilliant and hilarious shows, but it seems like, at least in the case of Arrested Development, I remember how hard it was to get people to sort of watch the show. Like, even people that I knew and liked and I had the box sets and I'm like, here, I will loan it to you kind of thing. Like, a lot of them, they were just like, nah, I tried watching it on TV and I just... I'm not so sure about Arrested Development because I definitely sort of jumped in midway through. But oh, definitely okay. um, Community, even though I watched from the beginning, and Venture Brothers, which I jumped on the second uh, season of, mm-hmm. I feel are really... It's comedy that builds on itself. Exactly. And so That's that the... you, if you just sample an episode in the middle of the run, mm-hmm. you'd miss so much that everyone else yeah. is finding funny because it's comedy that is funny because of everything that you know. Right, exactly. So it's kind of this fractal thing where it's like part of the thing that's amazing is how how many layers deep the comedy, the joke can go while still sort of being essentially the same joke, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's it's a really remarkable thing. And so when you see it in all its glory, it's something that, amazing to behold. But yeah, it's incredibly hard to like turn around and take something like that and tell people like, yeah, hey, you should really start watching it and here's why. But then you get to the thing like the last Venture Brothers season, which I thought was wonderful, is also almost impenetrable unless you've really been paying attention. Right, right. Which, which, which I, is a real problem. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it is a problem and it isn't. I suspect that um, for something like Venture Brothers, where their budget is being done on a certain term, and they're probably absolutely holding on to their, you know, their core audience. I mean, like you said, it's a problem. It's it it's a problem as you scale up because once you put something on NBC or Fox, all of a sudden the expectations are very different. You know, yeah. I think. Where it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, if Community was on Comedy Central and drawing, I don't know, however many people, 3.7 million people, I think they would be pretty happy with it. Oh, God, yeah, the numbers are, would be totally different. But at the same time, you've got to remember that even in Comedy Central, it would probably be a relatively low-rated show. Yeah, right. That's that's the thing. You always think that it's going to scale. It's it's the whole it's Sci-Fi Channel's whole argument as to why they never pick up any of these shows that get cancelled on, on the major networks, mm-hmm. uh, which is sure if we had those numbers we'd be ecstatic, but there's no way we'd get those numbers because we don't have that large an audience to begin with. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. On the one hand, I totally agree with them. On the other hand, there's something to being able to, um you know i guess sort of milk that uh you know like it's like really are you sure like because there is some transference but yeah i'm sure it's never as much as as they would like it's not worth the the fiscal gamble well here's okay here's something to tie this back to comics um jim shooter shared this internal memo from 1985 marvel Mm -hmm. which is a marvel analysis of dc's newsstand sales Mm mm-hmm did you see it? No, no, no. I have to say, like, Jim Shooter is the – it is the blog that I should be following, but after reading that built, very long Bill Mantlo story um, that that ran last week okay. – uh, Oh, and then you're like, wow, I, I, I can't ever go near that ever again. It's hard. It's really hard. I was like, on the one hand, like, I mean, it broke my heart, but also I was like, God, Jim Shooter is such a – he's like – He's being a fucking evil asshole. Like, he's being such a big fucking liar in this, just in this Bill Mantlo story. Like, the shit that he's saying makes absolutely no no sense, like, compared to what he's saying against one another. It just, it's horrible. Like, it really was fucking horrible. Um, but, so, but, yeah. So, here's the thing that, that surprised me, though. According to this Marvel analysis, yes. in 1985, mm-hmm. DC's newsstand sales were terrible. Mm-hmm. Like Wonder Woman was selling nineteen thousand copies. Wow! I mean, does that not seem astonishingly low to you? Crisis on Infinite Earth, the top seller was only selling seventy nine thousand. Uh, but this is this is on newsstand, right? I, I think it's actually very hard to understand from the the right. memo. So I the mean, memo actually it, the memo actually makes yeah. it sound like all sales. Mm-hmm. But I refuse to believe those were all sales. Yeah, I, I absolutely would know. If, the, if that were all sales, Wonder yeah. Woman would be dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's been rumors that, that Wonder Woman was never able to, like, it was only just because it was a legacy title that it was that it was there. I mean, my thing is, is I think that, because this is the thing, I just don't trust Shooter after seeing this, the Mantlo piece. I'm like, oh, no, but he, this, he actually is, he posts the actual memo. Like right. Well, I'll have to look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I don't think like, he's actually Wonder making Woman, things up, but yes. Wonder Woman is outsold by every other DC book, including mm-hmm. GI Combat, Arik Son of Thunder, Gem Son of Saturn. Mm-hmm. Like the V, the V book outsells wow. it. 
Really? Wow, yes. that's amazing. Like the V book seriously outsells it. The V book sells thirty two thousand. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So what's the difference between the draw and the sale? Is that the Oh are you looking at it now? The draw yeah, is the print run and the sale is the sell through. Oh, okay. All right. That's fine. So so yeah, this could be oh no, I'd have to read it. It could be all over the map. Sales or estimates, blah da 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 da. Wow, that's really amazing. Um, especially, yeah, there's got to be some stuff going on here because I refuse to believe that, like, Atari Force was drawing 166,000 and selling through at 31,500, you know, unless you're counting the newsstand, you know, into into that factor where returnability is an issue and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just, um, it's crazy. Like, the, the, but it really, that really surprised me in terms of, because we always talk about how sales figures are falling and everything now. Right. And these sales figures are <laughs> any right. of these sales figures would have something mm-hmm. capital. Do you know what I mean? Imagine you imagine DC's top selling title now was selling seventy nine thousand copies. That would be a disaster. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I well, I know, but the thing that's interesting is is that but this obviously isn't the full list, right? Like there's only oh no, there's Batman down there at thirty two thousand. Okay, there we go. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, no, this this is it. This is this is all of DC's titles for eighty five, which is also kind of stunning in and of itself. You're like, Wow, DC really wasn't publishing that much back then. No, they really weren't. And I mean like in nineteen eighty five I yeah. yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't reading most of these. I really wasn't. I mean, I was reading Swamp Thing because it was more, and I think I was reluctantly like I didn't think Crisis was that awesome, you know. But it's There's kind of a- looking at it and seeing like Flash was bi-monthly, Wonder Woman was bi-monthly. Mm-hmm. Like Actually, there's so there's so much about this chart that's just like wow to me. Yeah, the thing that's the idea that Superpowers was selling sixty three thousand. Uh, is kind of a meat like it's it's a big seller comparatively it's you know it's outselling Superman on this chart well you know? superpowers was awesome dude well that's the thing you know what I mean like it was but nobody was ever like oh hey superpowers that's one of the top selling books you know in the DC line it was very much like yeah we're throwing Jack Kirby a bone it's very important and we've got this whole sales structure tied up and we're sort yeah of but remember that's the toys. toys do you know what well, I mean that's what I was going to say is promoting toys and stuff like that but so I don't know I mean I, I can I can almost believe that there's the superpowers was selling something in the region of that well, it'd be interesting. I I would be I would be quite curious to to see, because uh, Lord knows it definitely seemed like. Oh no, you know DC definitely did seem to get its act together, sort of rolling forward from that point. But um, but yeah, that's fascinating. I think uh, please tell me something else about Jim Shooter, so I just don't obsess about the damn how much I dislike the man. He's really. very tall. Um... <laughs> I still genuinely believe that Star Brand was ahead of his time. Um, right. Let's see. Uh, his Dark Horse comics are kind of terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else can I tell you about Jim Shooter? Actually, it's fascinating reading his blog for his um, recollection of what happened to Valiant. Oh, yeah? Yeah, which is basically, I had this great plan that I was going to revolutionize comics, and then those bastards fucked me. Right. That, that's essentially, like, that's pretty much his story everywhere. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, it kind of is. He makes it sound like that's what happened to him at Marvel for sticking up for the little guy. And I'm just like, I don't think so. I mean... that's No, that's totally what he did. He was sticking up for the little guy. Actually, some, yeah, I I love Jim Shooter's blog 
mostly because when he tells the story, it's you almost have to. It's not that you have to take it with a grain of salt. It's that you have to go in with it, believing it's to be a revisionist history and looking at how amusing it is from that viewpoint. Because there's there's one where he's basically arguing that uh, he got a production artist an office, mm-hmm. and the production artist hated his office. And so he, Jim Shooter, had to take this guy's office for himself in order to... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, like, there, there's stuff like that, which is just hilarious. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, there's stuff there that's just... I think that's the problem with it, is it's such a... Um, you know, it's... Jim Shooter's blog is basically like reading... Nabokov's Lolita. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's... Oh, it's, there's a pool quote. If anyone else wants to put out a book collection, there is the pool <laughs> quote right there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, except for the good writing parts. But, you know, it's it's this weird, creepy, seductive, like, it doesn't work if there's not elements of truth in it, but it is also, I mean, not only is it just profoundly self-serving, but at some point I just feel like you know, there, there, it, there's, there's a genuine perversion going on. You know, it's just bleh. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That being said, the shit that's coming out of his mouth is amazing because there are things that he's talking about that is just like talk about where the, you know, the bodies are buried. You know, I fully expect that to be his post. You know, someday, well, like where the bodies are buried. <laughs> yeah, the the every, everyone remember the crusty bunkers. Well, they actually got rabies after a seventeen-hour stretch working at the bullpen. There's a reason actually, why we called them crusty. Crusty. It was from this the the leprous scabs. Anyway, we killed them all and buried them in a field in Jersey. Here's here's what it looks like now. <laughs> they were killed and then taken away by Romita's raiders. <laughs> Nice. Very nice. We we are we have been talking for like half an hour now. God, thirty seven minutes. We've been talking for more than half an hour now, uh, yes. and we haven't really done to a comic yet. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm well, sorry, it, listeners. This is a really weirdly scattered episode. I don't think so. I think people are think are like going to be like. I don't know. I find this like strangely focused. <laughs> God, that's even more disturbing. I know, isn't it? Uh, well, the thing that's interesting is I've got a handful of. Um, mini slash self-published comics to talk about and then only a handful of the you know actually I was going to say the big two but then I realized it's just DC and two image titles (laughs) is this because of your Marvel boycott or just Marvel didn't put anything out uh, no, it's definitely because fifty-fifty. Uh, like there was, it was there, and there was stuff that um, at the stands. So you haven't read any of the Fear itself epilogue issues? Uh, I read. Well, this is it. Where did, I did you read Thor? I didn't read Thor, and I did, have not read Iron Man. And what did I, you think? I I am stunned by the Fear itself epilogue issues at the speed at which mm. Fear itself has been written out of continuity. <laughs> Yeah, like crazy ass. Spoilers to anyone who hasn't read these issues, even though they're going to be weeks old by the time you hear this. But mm-hmm. in the epilogue issues, each one has been devoted to undoing one of the main plot points of Fear Itself. In, yeah. in 7.1, Bucky didn't die. In 7.2, Thor is alive. In 7.3, Paris did not get turned into all stone crazy wasteland. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's really like within a month of the series finished. It's you know, all and, undone. 
And this is one of those things that's really weird is I found myself being kind of like, I almost feel like there's a damned if you do, damned if you can't, don't, don't situation, at least for me and my perspective. Because I remember on the one hand being sort of annoyed that Civil War had opened up all these loose ends and didn't really, it took a long time to sort of resolve them and even then badly. Like a classic example is if, you know, Spider-Man unmasked at the end of Civil War 2 and then they had put that back in the box, like let's say that it turned out that Loki had been, you know, manipulating everybody behind the scenes and it gets undone, like at the end of the thing, I think that was kind of like, to me, sort of almost like the comic book status quo back then. Like that was sort of what I was expecting. Yeah, I I remember that. that everyone thought that. Yeah, you know, but the fact that they actually went what, like a year or two years with Peter Parker and Spider-Man being still being unmasked before they hit the reset button on that. That was, on the one hand, there was part of me that I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, wreck the character. On the other hand, you have to, I sort of was like, you really have to deal with the fact that um, I felt like, well, they at least stuck by their guns. But yeah, the, this this whole undoing of everything they did in fear itself in such in such an absurdly tight timeline is ridiculous you know i mean it really is like so there's this thing of like maybe i would have hated it just as i i didn't i wasn't happy that they killed off bucky i'm part of me in theory should be glad that he's back or that paris is back but it just is kind of the opposite i'm like well great i don't want to read this now that he's back either you know well, so, i think what it is is doing it so quickly cuz i mean this is within a month yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really bad. Um, feels like a slap in the face for everyone who bought the book. You know, it's not even like it's... I mean, there's that. There's the the, the so-called slap in the face. Because really, the, I do feel that, like, A, Fraction's comments about, you know, Star Wars, this whole thing, like, we're ending it, like, you know, before the Death Star blows up kind of thing, makes a lot of sense now. But I'm also like, it really is bullshit that they didn't tie this up if they're going to tie it up this quickly, they should have tied it up in series. The fact that they actually went and did the, the you know, basically made people pay. Is each episode three ninety nine? Yes. Two? Yeah. So they basically made everyone pay another $12 to get the, conclu- the conclusion to the story. You know, it's one thing if you've got like a self-contained event and by the end of it, everything's tied off. Or, alternately, it opens all these new threads that leads, you know, in theory, to the next event. But the idea that they're like, up oh, and 12 bucks, and then boom. Also, it really puts to the lie the quote that puts to the lie some of the stuff that Fraction was saying, like, when he was talking about the, the big beats in fear itself. You know, of like, oh, yeah, when Bucky dies, it's got to be a big, you know, you've always got to have those moments in the middle. Well, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, happen. I'm kind of fascinated about those comments in retrospect because from the same interview, you can see him and Brubaker clearly making fun of the fact that Bucky is not dead. Right. And it's really weird to see those two... Like, I remember at the time being like, it's like they're making fun of it, but then they make all these points about how important it is. Yeah. And then afterwards it's like, Bucky's not dead. Well, now they're making fun of it makes sense. But the talking about how important it was that it happened now doesn't make sense. Right, it doesn't make any sense. You've retroactively invalidated half your interview. While yeah. validating the first half. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the weird part of it is like clearly they knew which way it was going to go. So I think they, you know, 
it, it, it almost has this weird layer of Andy Kaufman-esque performance art to it, you know, in, in the sense of like, oh, we're saying these things now because it's precisely what we would say if we were serious. And it's important that you think we're serious well, exactly. because we're not serious. Exactly. You know? It's um, really bad. As we said, like, the Thor issue mm-hmm. really strongly reminds me of the end of Final Crisis. Mm-hmm. The, the Thor reveal is very Batman at the end of Final Crisis. Mm. Um, and the Thor replacement idea, I think, is the strongest of all the undos. Yeah, actually, when I read about that, I think I'm Bleeding Cool or something like that, I was like, huh, that actually seems like a clever way to, to twist things. And what wasn't revealed in Bleeding Cool, and I think is key to why I like it so much... Mm-hmm. It's the fact that Loki knows that some, something isn't right, and Donald Blake is around. Oh wow, that's very funny! Like that's in the last great. couple of panels, you see Loki basically being like, "What's going on?" and you see Donald Blake just appear mm-hmm. besides Tarantus or whatever his name is, Tar- Tyrannus, whatever. Tyranor, I don't know. Um, yeah. And so that you know that seems to me like a change that's happening as a story mm-hmm. as opposed to the Bucky is not dead which doesn't it's just like oh we didn't want him to be dead and right. the Paris thing in particular doesn't feel like yeah. it just feels like a oh shit we've destroyed Paris um, let's just undo it mm-hmm. 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 yeah I mean it just seems it seems it's not smart I mean smart I guess smart isn't the wrong is, isn't the right word it's cheap it's just very, very cheap. And it makes all of fear itself right. look cheap. You know what I mean? No, but <laughs> Which it, is it, amazing no, but it really because, does. really, Undoing let's face it. all of it within mm-hmm. a month really makes fear itself look remarkably cynical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, no. you expected someone to die. Okay, you expected someone else to die at the big finale. Oh, we had to have a big event. That's horrific. But, mm-hmm. not, you know, we're, we're undoing it all within a month. Well, and I think that, and the weird part is, I sort of feel like there's going to be some sort of attempt to cl- claim the higher ground for for that. Even weirder, you know, it's like, well, you said you didn't want, like, you you know, this is our way of subverting it, you know, like we were being super clever and you know, managing to give you what you wanted, and then when you complained about it, like actually showed you how we had the whole thing in our our corner pocket all along, and it doesn't. It's 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 the comic book equivalent of having somebody go, hey, what's that on your shirt? And then when you look down, kind of like flicking your nose, and it's kind of like, I don't, this is not, this is not as clever as you think it is, even though my nose is flicked. You know what I mean? Exactly. Well done. You got my <laughs> nose. Exactly. Exactly. Like congratulations. I am now irritated at you. You you win. You you win at comics. Uh, yeah. That. Um, so yeah, uh, it's the short version. The Iron Man issue I don't think is particularly strong. The Thor issue I thought was. Right. I actually thought the Thor issue was probably the best fraction Thor issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, weirdly enough. Uh, and the Bucky issue was... It was fine. I don't know. It was it was Brew Baker Captain America, which I feel has reached such a level mm-hmm. that it's completely stable. Does that mean... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel no, like it, Totally. There's there's no such thing as like well that's a great issue and that's a poor issue these days it's just oh that that's Bruce Baker's Captain America right exactly it rolls along at a very high level of consistency yeah that, um, that is both uh, 
impressive and yet kind of somehow weirdly dull, depending on where you are on the spectrum. With well, it. I think what it is, is at least for me, I have to go away and come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not a book I can read monthly because I do become bored with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but because when it is you come back, it's but when of, you go yeah. away and come back, like if you read it in trades, mm-hmm. it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's really strong. Or yeah, you take a time out and you come back and you're like, yeah. I, you know, I take a background. I should mention that I actually did uh, read a couple of issues that I didn't necessarily buy. I, I wow. okay. And, and they are what? Fear Itself, The Fearless, number three. Um, speaking of undoing things. Oh, is it? I, is, I dropped off The Fearless after issue one because I thought I, issue one was um, not particularly special, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, uh, Fear Itself, The Fearless is, um, it's it's really kind of a, <laughs> it's a weirdly crappy experience. I mean, it really <laughs> is like, I mean, okay, I, I, I read issue one. Is it crappy in a brightest day way? Well, see, this is it. It's like, it's like brightest day, more anemic cousin. Like, it really, really oh, is aspiring to be Brightest Day and doesn't even do that. Like, the majority of the issue of Issue 3 of Fear Itself, The Fearless, has Valkyrie basically being confronted by the Secret Avengers. And it's it's worth noting that I did not read Issue 2. And apparently she, uh, Valkyrie, had been befriended by a group of uh, vampires who are vampire hunters. I don't what? know. Yeah, exactly. So I swear to God, the bulk of the issue is the secret Avengers kick punching their way through a bunch of uh, vampires that, and then at the end are helped rescued by the helping vampire. Meanwhile, there's the subplot going on with Sin where she's, you know, has managed to retrieve at least one of the hammers. Where were the hammers? I don't know. I didn't, I don't remember. Like, they don't mention it. Like, they're all over the place. But, but this is, this is what I find so weird. So the end of itself, the hammers literally fly up into the air. Fly into space. I and, know, and exactly. You don't, you don't know where they're going. Then right. in the fearless issue one, Captain America says something like, so we've got the hammers under control. Right. You're like, uh, you do? Yeah, How? Like, yeah, no, I know. Where? Totally. What? Yeah. What yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just this big mess. So I think they're, I mean, it really does have the feeling of, you know, I think they're, sh- they're shooting more for 50, almost for 52 in the sense, uh, except there, it's like a much more, co- you know, there's not all the various story threads, but the idea is like, I really do think that they're trying to have these MacGuffins so that Valkyrie kind of goes on a tour of the Marvel Universe and you see all this stuff. And, you know, you manage to keep Mark Bagley sewn up for his exclusive rate because he can draw incredibly fast. At the same time, it's just like... In the way that 52 felt like really talented guys pulling crazy stuff out of their ass to, to you know, just to make each other, one another laugh. Fear Itself, The Fearless, at least this one issue, issue three, felt like not nearly as talented guys pulling stuff out of their ass to hit their deadline. And um, and so it, it really, feel, to me, it's like very anemic and crappy. I was kind of disappointed. Although, interestingly enough, I read Avengers 19 um, and and also felt similarly so who knows maybe that's just the state of marvel comics maybe you're just done with marvel for now 
yeah, maybe. Maybe it's going to be a while before I can really jump in. I mean, the art on Avengers 19 is so fucking gorgeous. It's, it's Daniel Lacuna, isn't it? Yes. And is spectacular. Yeah. And the fact that he can do it monthly kind of blows my mind. It what well, you know the thing that is heartbreaking is and this is this is how I realized how far that I've come is like putting down Avengers 19 and going man what a shame that such a talent has to like you know basically spin his wheels on something like this you know it's the Avengers it's one of the top books in the market this is the sort of place that like comic book artists who do comic book art you know used to aspire to be at but I think it's where it's flipped in my head because Akuna is so fucking good, and his his um his mask stuff is whatever. But his facility with faces and facial expressions, like I got to the end of it and I'm like, Jesus Christ! I would want to see I want to see him doing like if he has to do a licensed property, put him on Steve Canyon. You know what I mean? Like I want to see him do like fucking Captain Easy. I want to see like because he's so good at drawing. The, the the faces of guys who are going to punch one another. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Darwin Cook. Like, Darwin Cook doing Parker is fucking phenomenal. Darker Pook Park... Ugh, D- Darwin <laughs> Cook... Darken Park. Darken Park. That, that's just, I just, like, moved into Tourette-style barking. Darken Park. Barken Burke. Darken Burke. Uh, Darwin Cook doing, you know, doing an issue of the Avengers feels like really glorious slumming. You know, and that's what it is. Like seeing Akuna is like, God damn, if he's not better than this, you know. And it's this weird, like I don't even feel like I'm a big artsy fartsy elitist. Like I'm just like watching that issue where it it was one of those few times where I'm grateful that you know Avengers is just Bendis having his Mary Sue character sitting around and talking to each other because Akuna's expressions nail it so. Oh God, so good. Um, and yet, man, what a what a what a bummer of a comic for me because you know i don't know if you know avengers 19 is all the like oh you know captain america has to announce the the new lineup which which you know? is hilarious because it was the previous issues cover that was like who are the new avengers <laughs> and then it didn't answer did you see that online no so the cover of issue 18 is who are the new avengers uh-huh okay? and he obviously doesn't answer that in the issue right okay oh. And someone said to Tom Reaver in his farm spring, why did you put on the cover who are the new Avengers when you don't answer it in the issue? And Tom right. Reaver's response was, well, it's a question that people are asking themselves in the issue. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I really like that. I'm like, oh, okay then. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, not that I even really look that closely at the cover to Avengers 19, but I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess in theory that's sort of got the new lineup, except it has people on there where they're like, like Spider-Man is like on the cover of Avengers 19, and inside he and Wolverine are like, so are they done with us? It was actually really funny. It was like, you know, it's like, yeah, they've got the person with their spider powers and they've got their mutant, so we're done. And Spidey's like, I feel so used. And it was just that. That was really funny. But... I just didn't want to have to go through the rest of this because you got pages and pages of the how could Osborne have escaped kind of things. It's just bad. Like, are you that's as bad? Charming Osborne as I am. Oh God, yes. Like seriously. Like just, just go away. Like put him in prison and leave. But the fact that they had him escape, and especially in that bullshitty Neil Adams point one issue, oh, which, which I totally was, didn't read. Like, is that is that where he escaped? 
yeah, that's where he escapes, and it is horrible. I mean, it is horrible for multiple reasons. Part of it is is that Neil Adams is just kind of like, I mean, that's the part. It's like Neil Adams is like, I have no idea who I'm drawing, woo, you know. And part of it is kind of like, I am telling my stories in my overly emotive way that don't work, especially against Bendis. At some point, did someone like point out the panel and shout, even though their dialogue didn't have them shouting? Oh, completely. I, it's like every panel. Like there's, there's half the panels are like people who are trying to unhinge their jaws, you know, in profile against a white background. I, I, I love it when Neil Adams does that, and he always does that. You had the idea that if Neil Adams was ever given the job of drawing Star Wars, that at some point C three people would do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because everyone does that in Neil Adams comic at some point. They will point and shout, and their dialogue will be something like, "What are you having for breakfast?" But, yeah. like, they will nonetheless be pointing at the reader and shouting. I know, I know. Well, and in fact, that's, yeah, that's part of why I love So, by contrast, though, so there's this whole sequence that opens up with uh, Daisy Johnson, like, cross-examining, uh, what's his name, John Steele or whatever, John Walker, for letting Osborne escape. And there's a shot of the back where the two of them are talking, so there's lots of reverse angle shots. So, and the back of Walker's head, you actually see the little folds in his neck from the way that he's hunching and, you know, just like, it's the most amazing life drawing in this way of but so minimal god damn, he's just so fucking good and yet this issue man, did it, uh, it was awful, oh it was so bad ugh is so bad anyway um, (laughs) why why don't you talk about the small press that you read Yes, let me talk about them. Uh, first off, I should mention uh, Cindy and Biscuit by Dan White, which he kindly sent me a copy. Dan White, as you know, or may know, is part of the um, Mindless Ones uh, crew. And uh, he, he was like, hey, do you want to read my mini comic? And I'm like, absolutely. So it's Cindy and Biscuit, which has three of the stories that I believe you can find on Mindless Ones. Um because he, he actually had a inc- uh, really stellar one that, of course, I'm blocking the name of. So this issue of Cindy, Bisc- Cindy and Biscuit have Cindy and Biscuit Save the World, Cindy and Biscuit versus the Man-Wolf, and Cindy's Dream. Cindy is kind of a, a young girl adventurer in sort of the Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and her dog, Biscuit, is very much a dog, but is it's just is excellently cartooned like in a very um god i wish i could figure out nail the the antecedent for it but it's a very he's very much an alert animal he's very he's totally dog-like and inevitably it's i guess the twist on it would be almost like if you had a calvin and Hobbes fantasy sequence where calvin encounters monsters except it turns out not to be a fantasy sequence um more often than not so for example, in the in the first story, Cindy and Biscuit save the world. Um, she's out playing in the woods and comes across a bunch of horrible alien invaders getting off of their and who knows if they're actually invaders. They're just aliens getting out of their um, spaceship. And come to think of it, it kind of reminds me of Captain America Annual Number Three by Jack Kirby, which I adored greatly. Anyway, they're like <laughs> these sort of squid poops in like space suits and. Um, Cindy and Biscuit just sort of jump in there and break open their space helmets and bite off their arms and then just sort of kill them all and then go home and get yelled at by their mom. And 
incredibly charming. The I, art is I, lovely. It is. Lovely. There, there is something, and it's really not because I too. It really reminds me of someone, and I can't think who it is. But like, it's, it's so reminiscent good. of someone, and I, I can't yeah. put it together. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if if you love super charming stuff, in in some ways, it kind of reminded me of. Um, actually, all three of these sort of remind me of my sort of super happy uh, times with Onion Head Monster. Um, it's just he's he's got he's just got like really lovely art and an, an amazing sense of pacing i it's interesting to me that i feel like it's one of those um books where i can't tell if i want the art to be tightened up or not because it's so appealingly um loose i mean and that's part of it it just ends up having so much energy as a result of it um by contrast to the other books that i read which are season one and season two of the Sabretooth Vampire by Mike Russell which Lauren Davis was kind enough to uh, lend to me have, oh, you, have you, you seen you, the Sabretooth you Vampire? you have to tell me if this is good because I keep seeing it in Excalibur and I'm, I always want to pick it up and then I'm like I don't know I'm buying it up a lot is it good? Yeah. should I buy it? because they're, I, they're both I, there yes okay. I think so I think so I think, I think if you pick up Definitely pick up the first one before the Sabretooth Vampire, and if you like it, pick up this the second one, Sabretooth Vampire Unleashed. Um, because yeah, it's the the cover pretty much gives it away. Sab- Sabretooth Vampire is a vampire whose teeth are so long he is apparently stuck in place without his feet even touching the ground. Um, so it is absolute goofiness. I mean, and it really is like one of my favorites is Abbott and Costello meet the Sabretooth Vampire which is in a way it's sort of atypical because you actually have other people behind besides the Sabretooth vampire in it but it's great because Sabretooth vampire does absolutely nothing apart than try and be scary because his teeth are stuck in the ground oh, so you know what I've just discovered what uh, I'm going to be able to buy that at the event I'm going to tonight <laughs> really yes. oh the comics reading he's, he's, oh. he's selling at comics underground that'll be great well, well, okay. Well, I will well, be able well. to tell you when we next talk what uh, Supertooth Vampire is like read live by its creator and his friends. Uh, really? That's going to be interesting because all of his strips are worthless. So I don't, I don't know. There's actually, what was it? There was one brilliant thing where like Sabretooth Vampire is like out at the beach and he's sort of his teeth are like stuck in the ground, so the surf comes in and he pulls out a. Um, like a scuba mask to put on his face and the sound effect is like produce and then when he puts it on his face it's attach and there's something just so brilliant about those being onomatopoeias I just I just adore that um, so yeah I think you will enjoy it they are just good goofy fun on, on the opposite end of the spectrum um, Hibbs uh, and um, Matt actually turned me on to the end of the fucking world by Charles Forsman is that what it's called? Yeah, it's called The End of the Fucking World. Um, he's actually published two issues, uh, each of them for a dollar each. They are maybe eight pages, and they're in true zine style. Like, somebody took eight and a half by 11-inch paper and sliced it up in quarters and folded it over and stapled it type stuff. Um, and it's really weird it's really odd um it's enjoyably it's incredibly well told and it's one of those things that's um he works in like a really thin line i feel like um 
to me, the comparison is in some ways almost like uh, Chester Brown in some ways, uh, maybe not quite as detailed. So from a distance, he can kind of draw anything and draw it in, in many cases very well. When he moves into close-up, everyone has like almost a Charles Schultz or funky Winker Bean style set of expressions to it. So it's got this weird, like, it seems almost like a... Um, you know, a mini comic drawn by somebody who grew up reading the Sunday papers, I guess, and then discovered like Adrian Tomine because it is these these little mini comics, unbelievably well told. The first one is essentially narrated by this one character who, from the time that he's a kid to the time that he's a teenager, feels nothing in his life. He's essentially uh, he looks very close to being a sociopath. Well, he is, actually. At one point, he's, like, making out with his girlfriend and trying to figure out whether he should strangle her to death or not and decides not to. And they end up running away <laughs> I'm together. I'm glad he decided not to. Yeah, exactly. Except then the two of them decide to run away together because they're teens in sort of a know-nothing kind of, you know, go-nowhere kind of town. Um, so it's really stark, which is interesting because the starkness is... Um, weirdly circumvented by again this just weirdly kind of organic not quite there but close art style um and they're stunning what's also great is is they're both also a dollar each per issue um and they you're getting you feel like you're getting good value like you get it's only maybe let's see i want to say eight pages two four six eight yeah pretty much eight pages at a go but it's it's completely satisfying. So, so yeah, end of the fucking world, part one and part two. I don't know if he's distributing them throughout San Francisco. He's got to be local, but you know, for listeners who get into comics experience, definitely pick them up or God, I want to say, does he have a go to his website? www.charlesforsman, F O R S M A N.com. Um, uh, oh, actually, it says drawn in Hancock, MA. So hmm, I wonder who the hell is distributing them. Um, they're pretty good. Uh, oh, and online at oilyboutique.bigcartel.com. Um, That's I a totally great URL. Yeah, isn't it? Is so. Uh, I I was I was a big fan. Like those. Cindy and Biscuit, Sabretooth Vampire, and End of the Fucking World were pretty much like the highlights of my comic book week. I, I'm I'm definitely going to check out Sabretooth Vampire uh, because while, yes. while we were talking, I was looking up the strips that are online, and they're they're kind of awesome. Yeah, <laughs> they really are. Really great. I'm really looking forward to seeing him perform or read or whatever. That's he's where I'm like, to yeah, do. my mind is blown that he's going to be trying to be doing those. Um, oh, you know, and I should I should mention that I jumped from those, like, a, I think a good transition to, to those to sort of the, I don't know, the world's most mini-comics, accomplished mini-comics person writ large is I picked up uh, Paul Grist's uh, Mudman, the first issue of that from Image, uh-huh. and I, I quite liked it. I quite liked it. <laughs> You're so There's, surprised. Well, you know, I have, like... Um, like a love-hate affair really overstates it. Like I've got a, a strong like-dislike affair, you know? Like I've been picking up I I haven't read Kane stuff, but I'm always attracted to his design chops for superheroes. So I picked up like about a 
it feels like half a bajillion issues of Jack's staff before I just gave up, kind of. Because it just was so... Yeah, I just never really felt like it went anywhere, but his art style is so amazing. Yeah, you know? that, that, and, that's me with Grist. I, I think his visuals are amazing. And yeah. I think his writing... I think it works, but I think it works almost against momentum. <laughs> like, his work almost relies on almost no forward momentum. Right. Right, so it's interesting seeing him in Mudman. Like, Mudman, what's great about it is is it's a first issue, and if you think of it as, because we've gone through so many issues with the DC New 52, it really has a lot in common with the DC 52 first issue, in the sense of, like, you've got a hero, you've got, you know, you're trying to set up the status quo, it starts at the starting, beginning, you know, it's actually uh, the beginning of an origin thing, but also with stuff going on. And it is, I feel like he's taking a lot of dramatic shortcuts to make sure that he keeps the story moving ahead, to keep momentum going, and to keep the reader going, like, what's going to happen? Like, he throws in a lot of, like, weird, like, um, you know, a character suddenly gets hit by a car kind of thing, you know, just just to kind of keep momentum going. But it, it still doesn't quite work. Like, it never quite feels organic, because he keeps sort of rushing along with it. But, I mean, of course, his, his art chops are so amazing. And again, this is this weird moment I had of like, wow, it's 350 This is actually cheaper. Like, images now become cheaper than most DC, uh, most Marvel comics now, you know? So it's like, it's a, all of a sudden I'm like, hey, this is a really good deal. <laughs> <laughs> this, has, this has a ton of story in it and some beautiful sequences. It looks great in color. Um, and so I've got hopes for it. I'm actually looking forward to picking up the next issue. It, I would be curious, to, since you and I seem to apparently have similar reactions with Chris, I'd be curious to see if you picked it up. That you I did, but I didn't read it. It's, it's oh. on my I have bought, but I haven't read title. So close. Well, so are there books? Because I've been hogging up all the air space and time. What what have what have you read something? I have mostly read uh, let's see, the, of the comics that have come out recently, I've read a lot of third issues of DC books. Mm. Um I read the second and third Batman and Robin, because I for some reason forgot to pick up the second issue. And I actually oh, really like that title. Mm-hmm. Um, Insane. I should in really part because I really like the the series is about Batman as a dad. Mm-hmm. Uh and I really like that. I really like that he's kind of a crappy dad and knows that and wants to get better. Hmm. And I like the dynamic between he and Alfred in that Alfred is in the nicest way possible telling him, because you're kind of a sociopath, you're missing out and telling your son, who's even worse of a sociopath, all the things he's supposed to be hearing. So, for example, they go out in patrol and Batman says something like, I commend you on your performance. Alfred Alfred's like, did you say good job? You should have said stop. <laughs> Command doesn't mean anything. Why didn't you just tell him you were proud of him? Do you know, I like that sort of... I like... There's something about that that really appeals to me. That's great. That's very um, nice. Third issue of Batwoman I, was the first issue I really liked of this run. Um, and I loved it. I loved interesting. the issue of Batwoman. Oh, interesting. I liked it okay. I honestly... There were parts of it that I did not like that I have have a sneaking suspicion that I will like in a trade I thought as a single like that last page was just kind of like I literally turned the page going like wait is is that it like it 
it kind of felt like a very minor key cliffhanger, but but it also could have, like, I kept looking for the extra two pages of it. Yeah, I, it felt like a really strange place to end, but at the same time, it also felt like an artificial end to the issue, if that made sense. Like, yeah, it's like, exactly. here's where everything is, come back next month. Yeah, totally. Very um, much so. I, but I think the reason I liked it is, I think it's the first issue for me where the art has not felt like it's showing off. Mm. Where the, the, the changes have actually seemed uh, natural to the story. Interesting. Um, and also, it's the first time where I feel that the characters have acted organically as opposed to where the writers wanted them to go. Yeah, that I can actually agree with. Uh, and that part I did like. Um, yeah, although, yeah, yeah. Although I, I, I also had some weird question mark things that I just sort of chalked up to, like, I don't remember too well enough to know if I, I if I thought that it was thrown, you know, if it was artificial or not. So, I felt that way actually about Wonder Woman three. Not that it was organic, because um, you know it's Brian Azzarello, so more or less <laughs> kind of the the opposite. But I did think that it was like I felt spent a lot of the issue going like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Like we're going for some very weird. Like ultimately, I didn't mind as much because I liked where the issue ended up but it was one of those cases where I really felt like the entire the rest of the issue was sort of to get to that ending and make it sort of work and really had to jump through not only jump through some hoops but really had to like throw the story into a very different gear than the first two yes issues. and I also think it did, I don't think it does it well I agree and I, I, I think it's, it. it's it's really it's pulling things out of nowhere mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. You know, maybe if this was issue ten, and some of this being laid down, I would have felt, oh, okay. But as it was, right. it's like this is this is what, you know. Yeah. So we're supposed to believe that this has always been the case. Uh, you know, it it just it seemed like too much too soon. Yeah, I agree. Like it was super super accelerated in a way that, um, you know, in in a way that probably because of the the new fifty two ness of it didn't do it any favors. You know, like it, it sort of seems like maybe it's designed to take place, like trading in on a certain amount of continuity that you're supposed to be like, oh, well, I don't know who these people are because I haven't read Wonder Woman for like three years and that'll be fine, you know, kind of thing. Like a little bit of hand wavy. I didn't, I didn't, I was a little frustrated, especially because, man, Cliff Chang's art, so gorgeous. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he can God. draw the hell out of anything, kind of. <laughs> he really can. It just gorgeously visually appealing um let's see what mr terrific i think i'm finally saying goodbye to because dum, dum, dum. Uh, i really want to like mr terrific so much and this issue was just appalling <laughs> i really? mean really really just oh horrible <laughs> uh green lantern i i'm really liking and also i kind of i want them to follow through in the cliffhanger even though i know they won't Mm-hmm. Uh, the cliffhanger is Hal Jordan's dead. Like Hal Jordan is evaporated. Wait, which issue? Which, is this Green Lantern? Green Lantern, yeah. Wow, 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 wow. That's really funny. But I mean, they clearly won't. Right, of course not. Of course not. But I'd love it if they did because I really like Sinestro's Green Lantern. <laughs> I just like the dynamic. I like the idea that he just is better at the job than yeah. everyone else. Yeah. And that it's not so much that he's arrogant, although he is, but it's that his arrogance is really well placed. <laughs> right. Like, he no, can't do things no one else can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the first two issues, I thought they did a great job with that. And also, um, 
it's this weird flip flop of like all of a sudden he becomes the like all the all the usual whiny feet of clay foot draggy like the guardians don't understand me frustrations that you know that how jordan was always going through which just seemed absurd like it all makes a lot more sense you know when you have somebody who is actually in this this weird spot of like you said who can do these things better than everyone else and is but it's also conflicted because of who they were previously and kind of who they were before that it's it's the first two issues were really satisfying i don't yeah. know why i didn't pick up the third issue yet and also the the um the guardian plot as a mm-hmm. long time green lantern fan is a one i've been waiting for for a really long time and b one i really hope they don't screw up oh what is it because i can um, see them. the guardian plot is the Guardians have decided that just like the Manhunters, there's no point for a Green Lantern Corps, and so they're going to create something else. Oh, that's a great idea. They're like, yeah, yeah so everything that has happened with the Green Lanterns has proven that they are as flawed as Manhunters. So right. therefore, we'll come up with a third one. That's great. Which is that a great, is great, like, it's a great idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm sure it's going to end up being terrible, but <laughs> as an idea, it's really good. Um, talking about Jeff Johns, I really like the third issue of Justice League. I'm looking forward to reading it. Still haven't read it yet. Picked it up and flipped through it, and it seemed it seemed super appealing. The the few pages I saw of Diana is Wonder Woman, I actually liked. Yeah, I really like their Diana. In part because I said this on Twitter, I really like that she reminds me of the Aquaman from Brave and the Bold. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but she really does, and I love that. And I also love, um, I love the, the way they're building the team. I love that it really is just a slow story about them building the team, all of them going, "Yeah, these monsters have appeared," and having no idea, and just uh, being like, "Oh, do you know what these monsters are?" No, I don't know what these monsters are. Um, <laughs> and I kind of love that. I, I, I really, really, I, I'm finding myself. This is definitely the best so far. But I'm finding myself really enjoying Justice League more than I expect to after the first issue. Oh, totally! Like I, I enjoyed the second issue so much, actually, so much more than the first. I was shocked. Um, and so the third was one where I just I flipped through at the store and just money and time were tight, and I was like, eh, I will check this out later. But um, I'm no, glad you picked it up. No, it's really cool. I, I was actually mailed it. Ah, right. Okay, right. Back to the. <laughs> And now it's time for the screw you, Graham McMillan, part of our podcast. Uh, no, that, that's that's it. That's all. I was mailed this week. Oh, that's not true. I was mailed Hawken by IDW, the new Tim Truman book. Hmm. Um, which is possibly fine if you like Tim Truman. Right. I was going to say Tim Truman, one of those dudes who, like, everyone you know who has a fan base who are like you know kind of like oh this guy's been so overlooked and on the one hand they're right and on the other hand I look at his work and go and he's going to continue to be overlooked by me you know yeah like, no, just, exactly it's if you have liked everything Tim Truman has or most of what Tim Truman has done in the past you will really like Hawken if you have not however there is nothing in Hawken to appeal to you at all wow um, because it is exactly it's like the stereotype of what you'd accept from Tim Truman. Yes, totally, totally. I can I can just see it in my brain. And on the one hand, I think that's great. You know, there's a satisfaction. God knows, I, you know, my friend John's a huge Starlin fan, and I'm, you know, I'm also a fan. And it's kind of exciting when you pick up his work, and it looks, still looks so nice and looks very close to what he was doing. I mean, I, I'm 
completely off the rails as far as like what stories he's telling. I just don't have much interest in. But but it is kind of nice to see that someone's still doing. You know that this person's hitting sort of the marks that they. Yeah, but appreciate. but at what point do they become? Howard Chaykin. Do you know what I mean? At what point do they just keep repeating themselves to the point of self-parody? Yeah, but uh, that's a good question, but I almost feel like, I, you know, I almost feel like after a couple of decades in the industry... You, you can cares? do that? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you're never going to attract more people than you've attracted in those first couple of decades, unless you undergo some huge radical reinvention, I feel. Like, you know, like Kirby, for example. But I don't. I don't think that for the most part. Like once you get to that point, I'm sort of like, yeah, you know. So you're doing the thing that you do, and it it it's self parody. But you know, as long as you don't actually become John Byrne or something. And I, I say that, but God knows, I've picked up John Byrne issues and been like, I was okay long after he crossed into self parody crackpot territory. You know. What I mean? Oh, I have like, to say, like Byrne's Star Trek stuff, I thought was really solid. Yeah, I, I, even some of his stuff in Generations 2 earlier. And I know the Star Trek stuff's much later. I just haven't looked at it. But yeah, I mean, he can... No, the Star Trek stuff, I'd say, is amongst the strongest stuff he's done in years. Um, and also the Cold War. Did you read his Cold War series that just started the time? No, I actually flipped through a couple of issues of it. And I was like, huh, this looks interesting. Like, it's, it was like, it, I kind of wish he'd done it a couple of decades ago, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, which sounds more of a diss than it is. Mm-hmm. But I feel that if he'd done it when he was at the height of his powers, it would have mm-hmm. been really good for him, and it would have broken him out of bad habits right. that I think have completely derailed him since. Yeah, see, that's it. It's like I just kind of—it's hard for me to look at burned stuff without seeing the bad habits, and those are usually the things that end up scaring me away from actually. And that—that's why I like the Star Trek work because it's actually pretty much devoid of his bad habits. Hmm. Interesting. Which I, I have no idea why. I have no idea if it's just like he's a really big Star Trek fan and so he gives it more effort or whatever it is. But oh uh, his Star Trek stuff is pretty much devoid of all the bad habits. As opposed to like his uh, Angel stuff. He did a lot of Angel stuff for IDW. And it's uh-huh. just like, every, that, that, that's like where he put all his bad habits while he's working in the Star Trek stuff. <laughs> I would just put my like dull pictures straight on explanation three pages of explano text yeah while someone holds a hand towards the reader again yeah yeah yeah, yeah. slightly or that, you're, you're looking at them from slightly below them yes and timed, one hand extended towards the reader and that's yeah. like the bottom of the panel and then there's like at least two speech balloons above them yeah oh we've God. all been there talking of Kirby I read the Thor Eternal Saga trades Mm. Um, which are from the library because I'm not paying they're like $30 each or something they're $25 each and there's two of them and I didn't want to pay $50 for this and it turns out I'm really glad I didn't because I really didn't like them yeah interesting uh, I forget who was on that that was that's Roy DeFunco, Thomas right? uh, it's Roy Thomas and Keith Pollard for the most part but there's also art mm. from Walt Simonson and John Buscema oh, see I mean in theory it should and, be, it's but yeah. it's really not. Uh, <laughs> in part because it's Roy Thomas, the I have to put everything in order so that it all makes sense. Right. As opposed to Roy Thomas, the writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I mean, it's funny that we're, we talk about, you know, fear itself isn't bold enough. Like in Thor of the Eternal Saga, pretty much as an offhand remark, they're like, so the Asgardians aren't the first Asgardians. Ragnarok has happened. You all more live a life before this and you don't remember it. Here's the real history. Like, and that's in an offhand 
you know, man. That's like right. maybe an issue. And then move on. Um, and so it's like, it should be more exciting than it is mm-hmm. because they go for these big concepts and instead it's deadly dull. Well, you know, I think it's kind of interesting I, and maybe you'll let me know if I'm I'm mistaken in this, but because those, those books are from the 80s, aren't they? Uh, no, they're the late 70s. They're pretty much like as the Eternals is finished. Oh, really? It's okay, like that's much sooner than I would have thought. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, I would have to check issues, that out. First issues from 78, and it goes all the way to Thor 300, which I want to say might Wow, okay. Huh. Well, that's a bummer. I mean, because I, I was like, huh, I wonder if they didn't work because of that weird mid-80s like storytelling shift. But... That that just sounds yeah. The last issue is nineteen eighty. Wow. Um, no, it's just it just doesn't work. There, there's no particular like. Well, it's obviously that. Right. It it's just no. It just it's just, it's it just no. Um, <laughs> which is really, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It, it it it's one of those things where you look at someone taking a Kirby idea mm-hmm. and then doing it so so badly yeah that you yeah, kind yeah. of want to make a law where no one can take a Kirby idea and do it <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad idea I mean that's not such a you know is as much as I adore stuff like um, like Devil Dinosaur I'm always glad that they have never revisited Devil Dinosaur except in the occasional eight pager or parody type thing for the most part you know like it's just I, I, interestingly enough, the, the, the thing that I think of is, is I remember Kurt Busiek making a, a fine case, whether it was over at Fanboy Rampage or, or Savage Creek, saying that, that, you know, tying Kirby's ideas into the main Marvel Universe, his later books, always seemed like a mistake. And for that matter, tying them all in together also kind of seemed like a mistake, which makes, you know, Kirby Genesis so ironic in a way, I think. Um I think he was really right. I think Kirby kind of liked having his stuff be like, no, 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 this is this new story, and it's a new it's a new sandbox to play in, and I don't really have much interest connecting the dots to everything else. Which is why, in a way, I, th- I really feel like, in that sense, Roy Thomas couldn't be a worse approach, you know, to what Kirby wanted to do. What's kind of fascinating is the second collection actually includes the letters page from the Thor annual that starts the whole cycle off. Uh-huh. In which he talks about bringing Eternals into the Marvel Universe. Mm. Uh, if there was ever any problem as far as the integration of the Eternals into the Marvel lineup was concerned, it was a bit too original. Though mentioning S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Hulk it seemed somehow not to fit into the established Marvel Universe, and though there's a determined and occasionally nearly convincing hardcore of fans who think that the Eternals should not fit into the same cosmos as the FF, Spidey and Company, hardly anybody at 575 Madison Avenue is among them. Mm-hmm. And it's and so like he's aware of it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yet he just barrels on anyway. And, it, and it's really he's trying to make like this big epic. Do you know what I mean? Like he brings in the uh, the Olympians as well. It's not just those Guardians and the Eternals. He brings oh, right. the Olympians and he brings in the Celestials because they they are going to judge her thoroughly, and right. all of this and. It's so amazingly dull. <laughs> Which is a shame. It should be, like, a great idea. Like, I really do. Like, I'm very torn because on the one hand, the continuity nerd in me is like, yeah, that would be awesome. And it just sort of seems to make sense to take 
some of that energy that Kirby was, you know, sort of spewing off and re-plug that into the Marvel Universe. And frankly, they've done stuff with the Celestial Sense that I and the Eternals, I kind of like uh, either in concept or actually like. Like, I think their, their, their presence in um, Earth-X, like, improves things tremendously. Um, and, you know, it's sort of fun, like, hearing that they're using the dreaming celestial in uh, Karen Gillan's X Men makes me makes me want to go pick that up. I'll be honest, you know. Uh, and yet at the same time, it's also sort of I can also see how you can just fuck it up, especially with the idea of like, oh, we're going to tell you everything, you know? Like, I know it's hard. Like, it's I'm, weird I'm, that there's, there's the way they tell is also terrible, right? Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of I shoot no. I can't. Why can't you, Father? Well, because issue long flashback. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of that. Um, or there's, and this is kind of a character I wish someone, hey, Kieran Gillen, if you're listening, bring this guy back to Journeys of Mystery. There is a flaming head who, who is an oracle in Asgard. Wow. <laughs> that I think is like a frost giant or someone who was uh-huh. killed and then sent to Odin. And someone who lives on it's a flaming head. Um, yeah, we need to that's awesome. But yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He pretty much is like Thor. You might be wondering what the history of your entire race is. Here it is, <laughs> and you kind of want Thor to be like, "I really wasn't," but thank you very much. Yeah, I'm like, uh, wait, I have to go make a sandwich. You know, like, uh, can, gonna, and then not come back a, for like two it's days. It's gonna take a while. I should get a chance. Yeah, seriously, I just because <laughs> I really have stuff going on. Um, all right, so I'm going to try and segue one more time because I read Batman number three, which it sounds like it, you're not reading, are you? I'm not, and I don't. I actually saw it in the story yesterday, and I was like, should I buy this? And then remembered I didn't buy issue two. I, I mm-hmm. probably should. I've heard great things about it. Mm-hmm. Issue three is really interesting because it has like I spent half the issue going like, huh. Scott Snyder's not working on this. Like, I'm, I, and I, I don't mean like he's he's working incredibly fucking hard, but um, like, and this is the thing. I think the difference between you and me is I, I really adore what Capullo is doing here. Like his storytelling stuff. I think if you look through it, you'd be really, um, just impressed with the storytelling. Uh, I don't want even want to say the energy of it, but it's just. It's got a lot of vigor. He changes up his... He, he's just... He's not lazy. Capullo goes all over the map in terms of just a scene with, like, Alfred talking to Bruce in the Batcave has, like... Just a two-page sequence. I swear to God, not a single panel is from the same angle twice. The stuff you know? I saw on line um, looks really good, actually. Yeah. And I didn't even come. Maybe I want to be checking this book out. I, I, you know, and it's the thing of, because this issue really was like the first half of it was like, huh, why am I bored? And I really realized like Snyder's working super, super hard to work in. It's a very Morrison-y take on Batman. Like there is a secret conspiracy, the the conspiracy of owls that has been possibly running Gotham behind the scenes for you know a, a century or more and it seems kind of amazing that Wayne wouldn't know that and so they go about talking about it in the way they sort of the first half of it is very dull it's a lot of talking heads but then as Batman does more of the Batman explorey stuff 
it's it really does work because of the effort that they put into it but it's tough because it's so close to current ground like it's very it reminds me in some ways of the stuff that Morrison was doing in Batman R.I.P. sort of the sense of ominousness the, the sense of like layering all this stuff behind the history and especially the idea of like you know you've got Batman and Batman always wins how do you even set up a convincing threat to him like you know without it kind of seeming like relentless Mary suing mm-hmm. and I think I think ultimately they they get to where they need to be by the end of the issue but I really hope that it picks up after this did you read the Gates of Gotham miniseries because it sounds like this might tie into it mm, no I didn't uh, uh, Gates of Gotham I actually really enjoyed which was Scott Snyder co-wrote it with Kyle Higgins maybe I can't remember who he co-wrote it with uh, uh-huh but it, it was essentially, I don't want to say it was five issues of setup, but it kind of was. Um, the idea was that Gotham, Gotham was not built by the people that everyone thought it was built by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that ties in very closely to this thing here. And that the people who had descended from the people who had really built Gotham were coming back and wanted payback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is this, is this essentially a sequel? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so, as far as I can tell. Uh, because it is very much the, the owls are... The, the the court of owls that watches all the time, ruling Gotham from shadowed perch behind granite and lime. They watch you at your heath. They watch you in your bed. Speak not a whispered word of them, or they'll send a talon. And then it gets cut off. But that's, that's sorry, like the it's rhyme. It's quite clearly going to end with dead. Yes. Just, just just make it up, Jeff. Come on. Uh, no, I don't. Just do that know. last line. No, no, no. Because else you go somewhere stay. else. Come on. They'll send the talent. They'll send the talent with a nice slice of bread to bed. I mean, they'll send the talent to bed. I don't know. You know, they'll send the talent to come around and listen to Simply Red. I mean, I don't know. It they'll could go. It could go so many to nip up your head. See, Graham, I just think that you're just going to a vulgar place. Let's not jump to. That wasn't vulgar. It was kind of vulgar. I'm a little... I'm, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go blue. You did. You're working blue, man. Seriously. What do you mean by head? I just... I just... Unless I misinterpreted that. Did you yeah, mean like the actual... I, I think so. Oh, thinking. oh okay. Uh, never mind. All right, so... Moving on. Yeah, exactly. It's a, Blame is a complicated thing to lay, Graham. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Which also sounds a little blue. Anyway, the last four or five pages of it, I think I think you should check it out or get DC to finagle an issue, send you some issues. I, I might actually start else. checking it out digitally just because I was thinking yeah. the other day I like I could just get some of these and read them on the iPad. Yeah, and on the one hand, I don't I, I actually feel that Snyder's a little underwhelming. I think that some of the stuff online makes me wish that I'd checked out uh, his his detective run because you know I've seen some people be like yeah he's got like a he had a better handle on Dick Grayson as Batman than Bruce Wayne as Batman frankly mm-hmm. but uh, which I I wouldn't know since I didn't read the previous arc but there's something missing here but it's also amazingly goddamn good like Capullo's art is really great I think that you would really appreciate it I I shall I definitely shall check it out I I would recommend however if you're looking for a good Bruce Wayne Batman Batman and Robin I really well, like the Batman as, as father thing 
I tell you what, I will if you if you pick up or or take the time to read uh, the first three issues of Batman, I will take the first time to read the first three issues of Batman and Robin. It's a deal. That's right. We're virtually shaking on it. Um, yes. So we should probably else? we should probably wrap things up, right? Because we yeah, we have exactly. we have a hard stop that we've already gone over. Yes. Um, but yeah, is there anything else we should do before Thanksgiving? Because listeners, we're not going to be recording next Thursday because it will be Thanksgiving. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Uh, I am going to be tortured to within an inch of my life. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I know exactly. Uh, I will be seeing my mom, and more importantly, my mom's um, absolutely annoying boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, depending on who you ask. Like we spent Thanksgiving together three years ago or four years ago, and it was so bad. My mom has canceled on Thanksgiving uh, twice on me now. So, and yet she, she actually she's hopeful speaks. enough for. Or do you think this is going to be canceled as well? I don't know. I'm I'm a little like last time she freaked out and canceled way in advance. So the fact that she hasn't yet makes me think that this is actually going to happen. I mean, it's a week um, away. It's a week today. Yeah, but I mean that that won't stop her. I mean, I've got I've got horror stories about my mom peeling out of the driveway on Christmas Eve that uh, I won't bother like you know boring you or the listeners with. But um, you know, we could get the call while we're driving over to see her that she that Thanksgiving is not going to happen so that's how my family rolls uh, but I'm hopeful oh, how good. about you uh, yeah, we're exactly. doing the neighborhood thing again oh, um, our neighbor a couple of doors down uh, basically opens up their house and is like who wants to come over for Thanksgiving dinner and we all cook various things uh, so this will be the second year third year we've done it uh, I think it's the second. I could be wrong, but we've had dinner over there many times, um, and it's a lot of fun. It's really, really nice, and it's actually really nice for me because the first time I did it was the first time I had a really big American Thanksgiving mm-hmm. because obviously I don't have Thanksgiving where I came from. Um, and while in San Francisco, Kate and I pretty much just, just did Thanksgiving ourselves, right? And so it's really nice to have a Thanksgiving with. I mean, last year there's like seventeen people over there. See, that's fantastic. Um, And it's really, really fun. I really, really like it. And also, uh, our neighborhood, if the weather is good, which it's pretty much unlikely going to be because the weather is terrible here in Portland, um, (laughs) they try and have a neighborhood football match on Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. uh, which last year they did, even though it was pouring with rain. (laughs) Wow. And so everyone came in. I did not even vaguely participate. And everyone came in just covered in mud. Like... (laughs) Brown. Um, wow. We'll see if that happens again this year or not. But there's that. I'm more than anything looking forward to the time off. Yeah. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. really looking forward to the time off. Yeah, that, that'll be great. I'm very happy for you. Uh, just taking it easy, you know, spending some time with the lovely wife and the surprisingly quiet to dogs. I thought there'd be more barking than there was. Oh my God! Yeah, they they had some moments there. Uh, well, so we should officially sign off, and then I should see if there's anything that we have to um, unofficially discuss. Yes, I, I think that's probably good. Um, listeners, happy Thanksgiving! I have no idea if this part of it is now going to go up after Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving, because it normally goes up on Thursday, which is Thanksgiving. 
Yeah, it does. It normally goes up on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I'm trying to figure out if I will put it up on Thanksgiving or if I will just sort of edit this into uh, basically do one long episode. I, I think one long episode Tuesday. probably makes sense. Yeah, I think so as well. So. Uh, but anyway, yes. everyone, listeners, happy Thanksgiving. Um, I, we will be back the, uh, two weeks from now because we're not right next week. Yeah, exactly. We won't be recording next week. We'll be recording the first week of December and then – oh, But we have a, tail we have end a of plan. Yes. We have, do we want to spoil this? Oh, I, I totally – we don't. Well, okay, we do apparently. Go for it, Graham. Um, listeners who have wanted us to talk about Steve Gerber's Defenders run for a long time, and I know you're out there, um, we're yes. finally going to do it next podcast. Exactly. We're, uh, we're, we're taking the making, time off. Yeah, we're both making time to read the Defenders run again over yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm, I've got Essential Defenders 2 and 3, looking forward to starting it, and looking forward to Graham still being able to out-talk and out-think me about it. So, <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, everyone, happy Thanksgiving. When you, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, there will be trees and adverts on television uh, telling you to spend money, and I will be singing Christmas music. That's right. And I, I, will I probably won't sing Christmas music to you, the listener, so you're okay. Oh, really? Oh, bummer. All right. Well, uh, yes. Anyway, listeners, happy holidays, and we will talk to you soon. Or at you soon. I don't know how that works. <laughs> well done, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>